Hi, this is the Clyde Carter Bible Study, and I'm Bob Dickinson, the current leader of this ongoing study at New Horizon United Methodist Church in Southwest Ranches, Florida. Today, Craig Chaddock and I will be studying Isaiah chapters 4 through 8, so I invite you to grab your Bibles and join with us. Our primary choice of translations is the New International Version, but we occasionally use other translations when they're helpful. So, what's your opinion? Is the world going to survive another week? Well, reading Isaiah makes me afraid to predict. <laughs> we're going to, in, uh, in the flow of things, we're going to find out he was taken up into the, the heavens and the Lord said, I got a problem. How can I work this out? Isaiah said, Me, Lord, send me. Yes, I recall that passage. <laughs> well, that's a frightening passage. <laughs> he uh, he said the right thing. He did the right thing. But, whoa, it was so much more than he had anticipated. <laughs> he didn't know he had a little leviathan on the other end of that string he was trying to fish with. <laughs> I don't think so. This kind of not really... Uh, an analysis of, of scripture as much as it is an analysis of setting that's going on around Isaiah as he's uh, in the midst of prophecies. Well, he had a problem with Ahaz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he offered him a solution. He said, hey, ask God for a sign. And you can make it from heaven or Sheol, hell, and anywhere in between. You ask for a sign, and then you'll know what I'm telling you is true. Ahaz wouldn't do it. He said, who am I to, you know, test God? That's not going to happen. And he didn't do it, and didn't do it, and didn't do it. And then God said, hey, I'll do it. I'll ask me for a sign, and then I will give a sign. Watch this, sucker. <laughs> I especially like this section that we're in, chapters 5 through 8. Mm-hmm. We see an overview that culminates in the announcement of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's spectacular. I don't do well at memorizing scripture, uh, per se, but I do well at memorizing song. And so much of Isaiah is included in the oreos and the uh, great choral works. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've rubbed elbows with Isaiah lots of times. We start out, speaking of songs, with a song. Isaiah starts out and he says, this guy hints God, but he doesn't really say it out loud at that moment had a vineyard, and he had a great, beautiful idea that he was going to have absolutely vintage grapes. They were going to be spectacular. They were going to be world-renowned. But all he got was what they call wild grapes or bitter grapes. Then he finally explains his song, and he says, Hey, it's God. And you, the people of Israel and Judah, 
I'll always get that confused. Israel, I guess, is the northern kingdom, and Judah is the southern kingdom. But he says, I've done everything for you. I've built a wall, hedge you out, people harm you. I've given you rains to water your your crops. He goes through this whole list, and he says, I still have got bad grapes. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to shut off. No more rain. Let the sun bleach out the plants until they're dead. I'm going to tear down the wall so people trample through and, and ruin the vines. I'm through. And then he finally comes with his conversation with Ahaz to say, a baby is going to be born. And it's going to be born from a, a girl who's a virgin. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They waited 700 years. Perhaps not all originally starting out, but Judah waited 700 years for the baby to be born, and then they still didn't get it. It's an amazing part of Scripture because we have the benefit of another 2,000 years after that to say, oh, that's what happened. Oh, that's what God did for us. Oh, to us. A son is given. But we're still waiting for the second coming. I think it's uh, Paul reminds us that God's timing and our timing don't necessarily mix. <laughs> they, they miss. <laughs> a day can be a thousand years. And a thousand years can, on God's timetable, be a day. Doesn't always work that way, but it can. And that's the point. We're still waiting. We're waiting for that ultimate day when Jesus returns. And it all started with Isaiah prophesying what God had given him as a message because Ahaz refused to ask for a sign. And so God said, okay, I'll give you a sign. Here's the sign. You almost need that green hat on when you say that. Okay, I'll give you a sign. <laughs> okay, back to the vineyard. The song goes on. And Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of Judah, was the bridegroom. And yet, I'm looking at chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. Mm-hmm. The people that eaten and drunk so much at temple parties that miss the guest of honor when God departs to bring judgment upon them. I wonder how many times that happened with the church today. We make sure that everybody gets invited, but do we invite and do we expect and do we enjoy the coming of Jesus to that party? In uh, chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, we see that the situation becomes worse because rather than carry the produce of the land to market, Israel had tied up its sin and carried it to market in an ox cart. Its sin was so fruitful that they only, only such a cart could hold it. But the cart itself comes into question for its lines, trying to the ox, 
are cords of deceit. Not only did they not listen to God in his word, they did, they, they refused to even suggest it was God. They had a double sin to live by God's teachings and ignoring the warnings of God's prophets. Not a good situation. Not an unknown problem. Even today. Even today. He talks about Sheol. It's not a common uh, word, although it is in a number of places in the Old Testament. And even a little bit in the new, the grave or Sheol. Interestingly enough, Isaiah was especially upset because people tended to want to go to the inhabitants of Sheol for understanding for what's happening. And it, it infuriated him because he said, hey, you got God. God is living and knows how to talk to the living. The dead can't help at all. you ever run into a person that was really caught in the middle of that? And, uh, oh, a, a dear friend whose wife uh, died of uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a singularly horrible way to exit this world. Your body just quits responding to what you need to survive. And uh, he would go and sit for hours and hours and hours at the grave marker where she lay. Thunderstorm, he'd stay right there. Beating sun, he'd stay right there. He just remained connected to her in a way I've never seen any other human being. Uh, my grandmother on my father's side, she and her husband had uh, spent all 82 of their, uh, I'm sorry, it's about 76 years ago. Uh, out of that, I think they slept in separate beds, uh, maybe five times. He was a inspector for the Bureau of Standards in Washington and specialized in elevator safety. So he would go around to all of the national parks and uh, federal buildings and inspect the elevators on the federal facilities to make sure that they met the standards necessary. And uh, she traveled right with him all the time. When she passed, or when he passed, uh, she passed about two weeks later. They were just so connected that they couldn't not be together. And that was kind of the way this first guy was talking about. He so wanted to go. I, I don't know how many times you sat out in the middle of a raging thunderstorm with lightning striking all around, and uh, you couldn't get it to happen. <laughs> it was, wasn't funny, but it was almost funny to watch. But in the midst of all of this, uh, the connectedness between the, the two sets of partners was uh, both amazing and inspirational in the stand of their faithfulness to each other. When you start listening to Isaiah talking about this, uh, it seems as though God's faithfulness to his people almost feels like that kind of context. Uh, their faithfulness back didn't feel like that kind of context, but uh, almost that unwillingness to let his people get that far away. Yeah. Well, and we're introduced also to a word that crops up in Scripture over and over again. 
even into the New Testament, and that's the remnant. God said, I'm going to wipe you off the planet, except I'll provide for a remnant. Build an ark and put seven of you inside. Or... That's it. That's it. There's always a remnant. In uh, chapter 6, verse 2, we have an inter- in- introduction to a term that appears only here, a seraph. A seraph being uh, yes. uh-huh. a level of the angelic group, but not really discussed much at all in Scripture, except here. Members of God's court. What do you think it means when it says they covered their feet? Why would they cover their feet? Well, I read uh, one explanation, which I'm not sure I understand or accept, that that might have been referring to genitals, a modesty uh, of some kind. They, They had two wings to fly and two wings to cover their eyes and two wings to cover their feet. What is your understanding? As a pilot, I learned to fly instruments by uh, putting on a hood so I couldn't see outside the airplane. And I had to trust the instruments uh, when all of my senses were telling me that the airplane was actually doing something different. That's an interesting, that's a game breaker uh, in the piloting business. If you can't do that, uh, you can't can't be a pilot. Uh, You have to be able to convince yourself that your one source of reference is true. And the counterweight to that is that when you're in in flight with all the forces on you that occur when you're flying, your senses will scream at you, no, you're upside down, no, you're headed straight for the ground, these instruments are lying to you, and you're about to die, and you don't even know it, and you have to say, no, the instruments are right. If you can do that, uh, you come out the other side of it, and if you can't do that, you do end up in a pile on the ground. Flying with your two wings covering your face uh, says that you have only one source of uh, truth, and that is the one who is telling you what is true. If you don't believe that, you end up smoking pile on the ground. Mm. I guess I was always caught by the image of covering your eyes. Uh, been through that fight myself. Mm-hmm. Never did worry much about what my feet were doing. They had their own dance they had to do on the pedals. How willing are we to put aside what our eyes tell us we see out in the world around us and to say, no, there's only one source of truth that has to be the truth from God and everything else may look like it's real, but if you trust it, it'll lead you astray. We don't get, I don't know how to explain the life or death consequences of that when you're flying happens very quickly. Accelerated, uh, you know, by the force of a wind under your wing, it feels like you're turning like peeling off, rolling over to the right. And you are so sure your body is telling you what's, what's true. Your eyes are saying, no, the wings are level. No, you're in level flight. No, you're not accelerating. But your body says, no, no, no. And it sounds like Israel's been there. Yes. More than once. Isaiah is taken up to God's chamber, and he he can't believe it. He can't accept it. He says, I'm 
I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live with people that are, have unclean lips. And the seraph, not referred to elsewhere in scripture, brings a live coal with tongs and burns his lips. And then it's explained to him, your lips have been clean. Now you can be here. And then God goes on to say, well, we're basically in in chapter 6, uh, verses uh, maybe 8, 9, and 10. And God says, I, I need someone to go back and tell Israel what's, what's what. With uncharacteristic courage, Isaiah said, Ooh, I'm here. Send me. What he didn't understand was that his his duty, his assignment, was to harden the hearts of Judah. He didn't understand that. And it worried him. But he still said, here am I. Send me. As as it happened, and he was in the midst of his prophesying and the people not listening, he actually, in verse 13, says, How long, Lord? How long are we going to play this game? It's not working. They're not coming to you. And that, of course, is when God explains, There will be a remnant. That wonderful word, remnant. A righteous remnant. And the remnant will come back. Those stumps remain standing, and it was felled. The holy seed is its stump. As if the tenth part remains in it, it will be burned again, like the timbereth or the oak, whose stump remains standing when it is felled, and the holy seed remains in the stump. I've been watching the, the stump of the tree out in your front yard. I'm fully expecting that uh, at some point a, a shoot will come up. I am too. In fact, I left instructions for my gardener to not weed eat the area because even when the tree was there, there were shoots coming up from the roots mm -hmm. around the tree. And of course, he would come through and whack them all down so it looked nice. However, I'm expecting a shoot from the stump that represents the faithful remnant of God's people. We now come in chapter 7 to his discussion with Ahaz. Do we want to read part of this into the record? Let, let's do that. Talk about it first and then go back and read it? or No, let's read it first. You go ahead. Okay. Do we want to start at, at, at 5 where we... Uh, we left off at four, I believe, didn't we? Yes, last time. Chapter five is the first of the group that we're looking at today. Mine has a heading, the song of the unfaithful vineyard. Being a pastor, haven't you committed all this to memory? Yes, but I always use a lay reader to read it <laughs> so the folks remember what it said. I see. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, and that... Spot on the roof is where the lightning's going to come through in just a second. I see. <laughs> Let me sing for my beloved. My love song concerns the vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a, on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared out the stones, planted choice vines, built a watchtower in the midst of it, and hewed out a 
a wine vat as he expected a yield of grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to be done for my vineyard? What have I not done for it? When I expected a yield of grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Now I will tell you. I will tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove the hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down the wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed. It shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds not to rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord is the host of the house of Israel and the people of Judah. They are his pleasant planting, expects justice, but saw bloodshed, expects righteousness, but heard cry. Are we reading from the same version now you have? Yeah, picking it up at verse 8. Woe to you who add house to house, and join field to field, till no space is left, and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared it in my hearing. Surely, surely the great houses will become desolate. The fine mansions left without occupants. The ex extravagant estates will be deserted. A ten-acre vineyard will produce a pint of wine, fifty-pound sack of seed, a quart of grain. Doomed to those who get up early and start drinking booze before breakfast, who stay up all hours of the night drinking themselves into a stupor. They make sure that their banquets are well furnished with harps and flutes and plenty of wine. But they have nothing to do with the work of God. They pay no attention to what he is doing. Therefore, my people will end up in exile because they don't know the score. Their big men will starve to death and the common people die of thirst. Shio developed a huge appetite swallowing people non-stop, big people, little people, all alike, down that gullet to say nothing of all the drunks. You're reading from... That's from the message. From the message. Which is a paraphrase. Yes. And possibly more in our vernacular than the these and thous of older interpretations. Mm -hmm. Picking it up... Uh, in verse 20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I often think about some of the things that we, that we do. Arguments of uh, the, whether or not babies should be killed in the womb. And literally, they say, hey, it's good for the mother because the mother does not want or cannot handle a child at this time. Either she's not married, or she has illness, or whatever the reason. And there we see that someone called calling murder evil is good, and good is evil. And we see the same with a number of, of actions in our country. The uh, closing or shutting off or restricting police coverage, mm -hmm. or setting up money being shared or paid out to some people and not to others and sometimes to people that even shouldn't be receiving any. 
but they got swept along in the sending out of literally millions of checks in support, supposedly, of the people that have lost their job and whatever. Again, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. Message interprets that, that as doom to you who call evil good and good. Doom. That's kind of a frightening word. Mm-hmm. Doom. And then we go to Ahaz, picking it up, uh, verse 10. Again, the Lord spake, spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether it's in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. It was a, a very righteous statement. We're not supposed to test God. However, that's not what God was asking. He wasn't saying, test me. He was saying, ask for a sign, and I will give you a sign. And Ahaz said, I won't. And then finally God said, the people have not listened. They have tested my patience. Now I'll give a sign. You don't have to ask anymore. I got a sign for you. <laughs> and then the beautiful sign was a child will be born. A son will be given. Well, what verse are we at now? Well, probably at verse 10 of chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. Ahaz said, I will not. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Here now, this is verse 13, You house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you now try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. Or before the boy knows enough to re reject the, the wrong and choose the right, the land and the two kings you dread will be laid waste, and the Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your fathers a time unlike that since Ephraim broke away from Judah, and he will bring he will bring the king of Assyria. But they didn't listen. Ahaz just didn't listen. Well, the radio was too loud. They couldn't hear him. I see. That seemed like what happens a lot of times in our churches today. The radio, the music that uh, leads them to dance, uh, drowns out that which you must hear or perish. In Vietnam, it was interesting. The, uh, there were two branches of things that were going on. Reports and intel from the field that we were getting from all the lieutenants and captains and privates and so on that were in the field actually trying to accomplish what was asked of them. And then there was uh, what we called the puzzle palette. Folks who were supposed to be in charge of finding out what the VC were doing and what their next plan was. And 
the, the interesting part about the Puzzle Palace was that apparently it was tuned into the wrong the wrong signs of whatever was, was coming next because they always got it exactly backwards. Uh, they said there's going to be an attack up here in Fubai, and instead the attack comes at way, and there's going to be a, a mass movement of troops over here uh, on the Laos border, and instead it's coming down through the middle of the, the Mekong Delta. The guy in the field with people in front of him that's trying to do the job create a bond that allows people to understand and enjoy the fruits of freedom. was getting messages, one from one ear and one from the other, and both of them were radically skewed to the wrong information. And he has is being asked, okay, what's the right information? Amongst the two sources, neither one's right. They, uh, in the Holman uh, commentary, the commentator writes, looking at this uh, conversation between Ahaz and Isaiah. And he says, the interpretation of this passage has stirred some of the greatest controversy in the Christian church and has led many to words and actions that displayed anything but the Spirit of Christ. The passage is presented in dialogue between Isaiah and Ahaz and must be interpreted along with the rest of the book of Isaiah, and indeed the entire Old Testament, in the historic context of the people originally involved. The meaning there and the use of the passage in later texts, particularly New Testament texts, may indicate that the passage has a still further meaning and fulfillment at a different time in history. We must seek to understand that meaning also, but not to the neglect of the original meaning. It was a conversation between the prophet and the king, but it was so much more, and the king just didn't get it. Wrong source. Wrong source, indeed. The answer that uh, Isaiah gives Ahaz, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, a virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, call him Emmanuel. It is almost a way of saying, uh, because you've gotten this so wrong, I'm going to start over again from scratch with a person of absolutely no power or standing and a child that is totally defenseless and dependent and bring to you a new word that you have never heard before. And those who follow Emmanuel mm -hmm. will become the chosen. Those who don't will be left outside in the flood. We even today have that breakdown of communication. We have not necessarily a counselor to a king or a counselor to the president speaking God's word like God chose to communicate in Old Testament times. But we do have still his word, his written word, and we don't listen. We don't presume. We can't understand. And that basically is what... Isaiah says it's going to happen to us. And that day, the Lord will whistle for all of the flies in the Nile Delta of Egypt and all the bees from the land of Assyria, and they will come and settle on the steep ravines and the crevasses and the rock and the thorn bushes and in all the water holes. And, they, and in that day, the Lord will use a razor 
are from beyond the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and your private parts, cut off your beard. How would you help folks under understand that? Well, it doesn't carry the curse today that it did for the people in Isaiah's day. Mm -hmm. For a man to lose hair on his body, pubic hair, whatever, for him to have his face shaved, his head turned bald, was the most devastating of conditions that could happen. He almost would rather lose a foot or a hand than all the hair on his body. It was a very serious curse. And like I said, it's not, doesn't carry the weight today that it did then. Because people choose that as a fashion statement now instead of seeing that as a, a curse from powers beyond their being. You ever known anybody that lost all the hair off their body? I have not. A common side effect of radiation. Oh, okay. Yeah. Radiation poisoning? Well, not poisoning. They're, when they're using radiation to cure cancer, my oldest daughter, Sarah, was uh, uh, essentially went bald and then came in with a fine hair and then came in with a whole different color hair than what she'd had before. Oh, really? Much coarser what her original hair had been. It made her look like a very different person. Of course, the other effects of the radiation did that too. I wonder if people recognize how sin uh, does the same thing to us. Mm -hmm. Makes us unrecognizable to those who know us and they see a different person. Those who don't know us see a different person than what we see ourselves as. In verse 8 of chapter 6, he said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. His assignment was to harden the hearts of the people. And then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without in heaven until the houses are left deserted and the fields returned and ravaged, ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. Tebrith and oak leave stumps when they are cut down. And so the Lord seed, Lord's the holy seed, will be in the stump of the land. He doesn't say it in this passage, but we understand it later on in Isaiah that it was the stump of Jesse. Mm -hmm. Again, on this prophecy, the Israelites, Judah and Israel, had to wait 700 years for that full sign that prediction, that prophecy to be fulfilled. 
And Jesus said, I'll come back and it'll be glorious. And the church has waited now over 2,000 years. And yet it presumes to do the works of the Lord. And many times it appears that indeed it is doing the work of the Lord. And somehow we have to sort between what will be the final sign and what will be the sign that uh, we see and think to rejoice in. And we keep tripping over Isaiah all the time. <laughs> the basic problem that Ahaz had was that he wasn't prepared to depend on God. He was going to depend on his relationships with the other countries of the Middle East, developing coexistent uh, treaties. Well, if we you get attacked, we'll come to get take care of you. He didn't. He wasn't prepared to have the treaty with God to develop that. That in chapter eight, which is the final chapter of our discussions today. God's people had no reason to fear worldly political powers, but should fear only God. It was God that was in charge. Faith in God is the only basis upon which to make life's decision. Do we do that? Do we do that individually? Do we do that as a church? Do we do that as a country? Take a large scroll and write on it and another with another pen. Malushala Hasbah. And so I called in Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Shepherdkin as reliable witnesses for me when I made and then I made love to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son, and the Lord said to me, Name the son Mahashala are those uh, names you can pronounce better? Sam and Joe and Bob and Bill. Those are the names I can say better. <laughs> We're in 8 verse... Uh, Chapter 8 verse what? It must be 4 and 5, I guess. 5. Oh, it's verse 3, I'm sorry. Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, Name him Nahar... Shalah Hashish Bez. Before the boy knows how to say, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again because this people has rejected the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoiced over Rezin, the son of Remalah. Therefore the Lord is about to bring against him the mighty flood water of the Euphrates. The king of Assyria, with all of his pomp, will overflow all of its channels and run over all of its banks and sweep into Judah, swirling over it and passing through it and reaching to the neck. The outspread, its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. Why is Emmanuel there in verse 8? I think it is a exclamation uh, of all that's happening. Suggestion is that at least in part, 
it's not unfortunate for the ordinary child, but it's one of royal lineage. One of the things that we look at in chapter 8 is the claim, the conversation that Isaiah had with God when God said, I have this problem, who can, who can I send? And Isaiah said, send me, Lord, here I am, send me. Again, looking back at the Holman commentary, he suggests that this is not an unusual happening that happened just, you know, uh, 18, a thousand years ago or 3,000 years ago or whatever. And he tells this, this true story. Dwight L. Moody was an ordinary shoe salesman. God began working in his life, calling him to preach the gospel. But how could such an uneducated, unsuccessful person preach the gospel with any success? One day he joined Henry Varley and other friends in the hayfield where they gathered to confess their sins, consecrate themselves to God's service, and pray. Varley reminded the group, Lord has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Later, Moody listened to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he listened to his preaching. Suddenly he realized this was not Spurgeon's doing, it was God's and God at work. If God could work through Spurgeon as he was doing, why could he not also work through Moody? He determined then and there to be the man God would work through. He determined then to be the man that God could fully use. The results are written all over the pages of history of world evangelism. Thousands and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior because of an uneducated shoe salesman, heard the call uh, of God on his life, and determined to be wholly dedicated to him. Moody and Spurgeon followed the footsteps of Isaiah as they listened to God's call and went where God led. Isaiah is gone. Spurgeon is gone. Moody is gone. A new generation of lost people wait to hear God's word. God continues to call people to see what he can do through a faithful and fully dedicated person. Are you listening to God's call? Are you encouraging your children and family members to listen? Imagine what God could do through a fully and wholly dedicated you. It's almost like... Uh Chapter 8, verse 11, where it says, And this is what the Lord said to me, with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people, everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they feared. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one that you are to regard as holy. He is the only one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be the stone that causes people to stumble, the rock upon which they fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he'll be the trap and the snare. Many will stumble, will fall and be broken. He will snare, they will be snared and captured. Bind up this testimony as a warning. Seal it up as God's instruction to his disciples. I will wait 
for the Lord, who hides his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. That was uh, 8. Mm-hmm. Here am I. This is chapter, verse, chapter 8, verse 18. Here am I, send me. Next week, or next time we come together, either in person or through the blog, we'll look at chapters 9 through 11. Okay. Abraham Lincoln has been quoted as saying, nearly all men can stand adversity. But if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Hmm. We'll see what Isaiah has to say in relation to that. Hmm. Chapters 9 through 11. You want to lead us in a closing prayer? Holy Lord, we come to your word and are changed by it. We come to your word and we're made to stop and look and listen and Try to understand all that we see going on in front of us in our nation and in our world in the perspective of the ones who've encountered you face to face and found in you the way forward, found through you the way that leads to life in Christ. Help us to know, Lord. Help us to understand. Help us to find in your word the enlightenment and the fullness and the wholeness that you alone can give. Lead us step by step, not where we understand we should go, but where you ordain we should go. Allow our words to be your words. Allow our thoughts to be your thoughts. Allow your people to hear from you the holy intent, the righteous saving redemption that comes from you and through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen.